Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we come on this Memorial Day as we think of the freedom that was bought with blood, with sweat, with tears, with commitment, with sacrifice. And we are thankful that a large measure of that freedom that was purchased and that we enjoy is a religious freedom to read this book, to own it, to give it away to others to pray over it, to preach it, to learn it. And so we're thankful today for the freedom you've granted thus far to our nation. And we're thankful, Lord, not only for those in the government and the military that have fought to secure our freedom, but we are thankful, Lord, for those among your people who have suffered and died, who have been martyred, and who have counted you more precious than their own lives. Father, we stand in a long line of martyrs who bled for this book that we just read, and we too stand in that legacy, and I pray that this message today would strengthen our resolve to be a people of the book and a people who will even suffer the ultimate price of sacrifice in order to live out the truths that are contained in it. Father, we ask your blessings on our pastor and pray that your spirit would empower him to preach your word as it is found, as we have read it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we come to the eighth and final beatitude in our series that we've been in called Upside Down. And to read this beatitude, as you just heard Chris do, is shocking to say the least. Imagine hearing it for the very first time in your life when Jesus on the side of that hill pronounces to both his disciples and that vast crowd of curious followers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus takes it one step further, and he personalizes this beatitude. He personalizes the persecution when he uses the personal pronoun you in verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. The boldness here of what Jesus says, it almost takes your breath away. I mean, of all the Beatitudes that we've looked at so far, this one is by far the most radical, the most shocking. By definition, persecution involves pain. It involves suffering. And, and let's be honest, who wants that? Who is signing up for that? Not I. This is the blessing nobody wants. Most of us would rather have the blessing that comes from being merciful than the blessing that comes from being persecuted. 
And yet, we cannot skip this beatitude as it comes as the logical climax to everything that Jesus has said preceding it. And since it's the longest beatitude, three verses Jesus takes to expand on it, we can hardly ignore it, nor can we pretend that it's not there. Instead, this morning, we must stop. And we must consider what Jesus is saying to us as His followers when we live out the virtues of upside-down living here in the Beatitude. And that brings us to the key theme in this Beatitude, and that is persecution. The word, the very sound of it, it sounds cruel, it sounds painful, and it sounds agonizing. And perhaps the word persecution even evokes images of of Christians being thrown to the lions and men and women burned at the stake for proclaiming Christ. Or perhaps you have in your mind even pastors being tortured until they renounce their faith in Christ. And, and we do know, church history tells us that such things have happened in the past. But what about today in the present? Well, I would suggest that this beatitude in particular might be the most relevant beatitude to Christ followers living in the 21st century, and that's because we live in an age of global persecution. Do you know who the most persecuted group of people in the world are today? Notice this in your notes. I invite you to Follow along in your notes there in your bulletin if you want to, or you can just follow along on the screen behind me. But the most persecuted group of people in the world are Christians. If this comes as a surprise to you, that's because this is the most ignored and least reported news item in the mainstream media. In 2014, the International Society for Human Rights, which is a, a secular organization, put out a report that says, and I quote, 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today are directed against Christians. 80%. According to the Pew Research Center, Christians face harassment in 102 countries more than any other religion. And we're all aware, most of us here this morning, we are aware that for the past 2,000 years, Christianity, the church, the Christian church, and even Christians in particular, have been persecuted. We know that under Nero, the, the Roman emperor, that thousands of Christians were fed to the lions and burned at the stake. And, and one Bible scholar, William Barclay, gives this picture of that when he writes, Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight. He used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sewed them in the skins of, of wild animals and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pinchers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned with, while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. We know what it says even in the book of Hebrews about the early Christians here in Hebrews 11, 36 and 37. It says, some 
faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. We know what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 25, when, when Jesus spoke of, all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, in which almost serves as an unintentional reminder to us that the list of people, of those persecuted for their faith, persecuted for the cause of Christ, runs from A to Z. But what we don't know, what many of us here are unaware of, is that the worst persecution of Christians in all of history is happening in our lifetime right now. It's just not being reported by the mainstream media. It's estimated that more Christians have been killed for their faith in the last century than any other. David Alton, who campaigns on religious freedom, reports Some assessments claim that as many as 200 million Christians around the world face some degree of restriction, discrimination, or outright persecution. That is about 1 in 10 of the 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Whatever the real figures are, the scale is enormous. Christians face serious violations of religious freedom, Alton writes. Persecution ranged from murder rape and torture, to repressive laws, discrimination, and social exclusion. Do you realize that in our so-called age of tolerance, culture of tolerance, here even in our country, that the persecution of Christians is actually on the rise? Lisa Pierce, who is an executive with Open Doors, a global organization that monitors Christian persecution around the world, writes, in general, persecution of Christians is increasing, and the rate of increase is accelerating. The nature of persecution is also changing. It used to mean several years in a forced labor camp. Now it means watching your loved ones being beheaded. According to Guardian.com, Christians are facing growing persecution around the world, fueled mainly by Islamic extremism and repressive governments, leading the Pope himself to even warn of a form of genocide against Christians. The scale of attacks on Christians in the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and Latin America has alarmed organizations that monitor religious persecution, with most reporting a significant deterioration in recent years. And according to OpenDoorsUSA.com, in fact, this is coming up on the screen behind me now, this slide here, they report that each month, every month now, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. And 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. No wonder, no wonder God's Word tells us in Hebrews 13.3, remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them. Remember those who are suffering as if you were suffering with them. 
Now, one way that we here this morning that we can remember is we can be informed. And what I'm giving you in this introduction is simply the surface of what it means to be informed. And we can pray as a result of all this as well. What you'll find in your bulletin is an insert that's put out by Open Doors, the organization that I quoted here, and, and, and I draw your attention to this insert. And what this is, it's Open Doors World Watch List for 2016. And I simply provided you the top 10. They actually have on their website the top 50 countries that are most persecuted worldwide. In your bulletin, it's the top 10. Now, that doesn't mean you have all 10. What you have is one of the top 10. If you are interested in knowing what all 10 of the top 10 countries are that are most persecuted, they're available at the Information Center back there. You can also go to their website, opendoorsusa.org. What I hold in my hand, number one on their top 50 watch list of most persecuted countries around the world is none other than North Korea. They head the world watch list for the 14th consecutive year now. They estimate that somewhere between 50 to 70,000 Christians are suffering at this moment from torture in North Korean labor camps. And so each of these inserts here just provides a little bit of information as a way for you to be informed and then hopefully motivate you to pray for those that are being persecuted around the world. With all this in mind, let's take a few minutes this morning and let's look at what Jesus says, almost the audacity to say, the joy of persecution in this eighth and final beatitude. And there's three points I want us to emphasize or take note of when it comes to the joy of persecution. And the first point is simply this. The reality of persecution is expected. The reality of it is to be expected. Until the last few years, America has been relatively exempt from religious persecution. But folks, those days are fast coming to an end. I hope you are not so naive as to think otherwise. So far, Christians have not felt the level of persecution like those in other countries. That is true. But we are being pressured to conform to the culture around us like never before. No, we are not yet facing violent oppression, but we are facing verbal oppression. To shut up and keep your mouth shut about what we, as Christ followers, believe. To not stand up for Jesus, and certainly not to speak out in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the pressure we are feeling. And it is a verbal pressure that's being communicated mainly through the media. And perhaps through neighbors, co-workers, and even family members. Rather, we are to just blend in. We are to fit in with the rest of society, but we know that the Beatitudes here, Jesus is calling us to a radically upside-down, different way of living. I do believe we are on the threshold of a cultural shift which we are witnessing in our country today. And whether or not we will face violent oppression in our lifetimes, no one knows. As a father, I fear for my children that they will be the ones to face that. What we do know is that the Bible always 
always presents the persecution of Christians as the norm and not the exception. In fact, John Stott suggests we should not be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases, but rather be surprised if it does not. Jesus tells us up front. He, the Bible warns us numerous places, especially throughout the New Testament, and Jesus himself tells us up front that persecution is par for the course. It is part of the price of following him such as in John 15, 18 through 20. He tells us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also because you follow me. Paul tells us later on in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Jesus, when he comes to this eighth and final beatitude, make no mistake about it, he assumes, he assumes that persecution is the norm when he writes, Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus is telling us that the, that the more that a person lives out the virtues of the first seven Beatitudes, the more he or she will be persecuted. In other words, this eighth Beatitude is really the result of the first seven Beatitudes. And yet, you would think that if you're humble, if you're meek, if you're merciful, if you're pure in heart, and if you are seeking to be a peacemaker at your work and in your neighborhood and with your family, that the world would welcome that kind of person. But that's not the case. Jesus wants us to know. He's informing us, and he is knocking on our heads, if you will, trying to open up our hearts to let us in and tell us that if you're living out these beatitudes, the world will not roll out the red carpet for you. Instead, you will be persecuted. Now, we should note that not every non-Christian or unbeliever that we come in contact with, or directly or indirectly, hates genuine Christians. Not all individuals, and certainly not all institutions, are on a mission to wipe Christians off the face of the earth. In fact, some unbelievers actually see Christians and Christianity as a good thing overall, by and large, for society. Through our study of the book of Acts, we saw this firsthand when we read in the book of Acts that even the early church, the first church, enjoyed great favor with people in the city of Jerusalem due to their testimony, due to their reaching out. At the same time, later on, though, in the book of Acts, it also tells us that because of the gospel and because of their proclamation of the gospel, there arose, what? A great persecution against the church, the very same church that had favor against Jerusalem or church in Jerusalem. So what we find is that some towns found Christians beneficial, while others tried to beat them to a pulp. 
But the fact is that even as Christianity seems profoundly attractive to some, it also attracts persecution from others. So what then is persecution? What is Christian persecution? Well, the word that Jesus used for persecuted here in this eighth beatitude, it simply means to drive away, to harass, to treat wrongly. In other words, Jesus is saying, blessed are the harassed. And then Jesus expands what that harassment includes in verse 11 when he says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. According to Open Doors, Christian persecution is any hostility from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian. From verbal harassment to hostile feelings, attitudes, and actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. Beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, Severe punishment, imprisonment, slavery, discrimination in education and employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution they experience on a daily basis. Now, in this eighth beatitude here, Jesus actually identifies for us three forms of persecution that we can expect to face as Christ followers. And the first form is physical attacks. Physical attacks. To persecute literally means to chase away or to pursue with hostile intent is to be hunted down as an animal. And this is exactly what happened to the apostles. According to tradition, Andrew was executed by being tied to a cross and left to die. Peter was crucified upside down after spending nine months in prison. The apostle Paul was beheaded by Nero. Others have suggested that every one of the apostles was executed except the apostle John who died in exile on the island of Patmos. And so Christ's followers can expect to face physical attacks on the extreme side of persecution. We're not that yet, there yet in our country. What we face in our country are the other two kinds of persecution. No, the second one, and that is verbal insults. Verbal insults. The word translate revile means to heap insults on someone. It's the idea to attack and defame someone with abusive words. It's the same word used in the crucifixion of Jesus when he hung on the cross and the Roman soldiers walked by and they scorned him and they mocked him and they hurled their insults on him. Jesus is telling us that you may find yourself, when you stand up and you stand firm as a Christ follower, that you may find yourself the object of ridicule, the object of scorn, sometimes audible, other times whispered, sometimes to your face, other times behind your back. And then a third form of persecution we can expect to face is false accusations. Persecution can take the form of slaughter as well as slander. And there are times when the tongue itself inflicts deeper wounds than any sword, especially when people, in the words of Jesus, say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Perhaps the worst type of slander 
that one can endure are false accusations that are aimed at damaging a person's reputation. I doubt any of us here, and I pray this will not happen, I doubt any of us will ever be burned at the stake, at least in our lifetimes here. But I would venture to say that all of us better get ready to endure verbal insults and false accusations. At times you will be called a fundamentalist and out of touch with our culture because you live in line with the absolute truth of God's word. You will be accused of hate crimes because you refuse to celebrate homosexuality, gay marriage, and transgenderism, even though you hate no one. In fact, you show mercy to all people. You will be labeled a bigot even though you are more tolerant and more accepting than those who are accusing you of being a bigot. You will be accused of prejudice against women simply because you believe what the Bible teaches about the roles of men and women. Despite the fact that you sacrificially love your wife, you adore your daughter. So here's the question for every one of us this morning. Have. And, and I, I would pose this to you guys, as young men and young ladies especially, and those of you in your 20s and 30s, but it holds true for all of us. Here's the question. Have you given your reputation to the Lord? Have you surrendered your reputation to Him? Because until you do, listen, I will venture to say that you will never endure being spoken against because you are constantly trying to protect your reputation. But when you do, when you do surrender it to the Lord, remember what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so your reputation may be maligned here on earth, but no one can touch your reputation in heaven. Thomas Watson, the famous Puritan, once said, persecution is the legacy bequeathed to Christ, by Christ to his people. But why is that the case? Why is persecution, why does Jesus assume persecution is the norm for us here as Christ followers? Well, that brings us to our second point. The reason for persecution is righteousness. The reason is righteousness. Look again what Jesus says in verse 10 here. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for what? What's it say? For righteousness' sake. And note that Jesus does not call persecuted people blessed. Rather, Jesus pronounces God's blessing on people who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Listen, there are, there are a variety of reasons, there are many reasons why people who dislike Christianity might persecute you. But your Christianity may have nothing to do with it. You might take a beating simply because, well, let's be honest, you're an obnoxious, belligerent jerk. At work and at school. And with your family. But that is not blessed. 
That's far from being blessed. Or you might be harassed because you're a self-righteous Christian who blows people away and you're witnessing turn or burn or you're going to die and fry if you don't trust Jesus. I'd harass you too. So don't chalk up all dislike others might feel towards you as, quote, persecution for righteousness' sake when it simply may be nothing of the sort. Experience and harassment you bring upon yourself is not persecution. True persecution, the kind that Jesus is talking about here in this eighth beatitude, comes because of righteousness' sake, or what Jesus later on says in verse 11, for my sake. And so what Jesus is doing is he is paralleling for righteousness' sake and my sake, or Jesus' name together. In this context, this is the righteousness taught in the preceding Beatitudes. It's the righteousness of Christ that we have received as a gift from God. And now we begin to live it out. And the world cannot tolerate such a life. Why? Because such a life is like Christ. Such a life is like Jesus. And everyone who lives like Jesus will be persecuted. The world, have you noticed, it will tolerate a good person. The world will welcome good people. Your school, you can get along well by being a, quote, good person. Your teachers will like you for being a good person, a good student. But it cannot stomach the blazing righteousness of Christ that is reflected in Christians. It's upside down, isn't it? Why? Why would anybody persecute righteousness? What's up with that? It doesn't seem very offensive, so why persecute righteousness? Well, notice this in your notes. Why righteousness is persecuted? Here's the reason why. The light of righteousness or the light of a righteous life exposes the deeds of a sinful life. And that life devoted to righteousness will inevitably be persecuted. That's why. Those who reject Jesus Christ, they cannot handle a righteous life for the simple reason it exposes their sinful life. And so they react to it in varying degrees. Jesus diagnosed their very condition in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, when he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so your light shines in their darkness. And so they squint and they cover their eyes with their hands and they persecute you simply because they don't want the light turned on. It's like when I go in and wake Jack up in his room sometimes before school and it's dark in there. You know what he hates most of all? When I turn the big light on in the room. <laughs> Stop! No! Oh, he wants his mother to come in there and nurture him like a little baby and turn the, the little lamp light on. Your light 
Your, your light exposes them for who they are. And they don't want you to go there. They themselves don't want to go there. They hate you because your righteousness stands in sharp contrast to their lack of righteousness. And just a reminder here, it's not self-righteousness that we have. It's not our righteousness. This is the righteousness of Christ that we have received as a gift of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so your very existence now, your very life as a Christ follower will oftentimes rub unbelievers the wrong way simply because it condemns their whole way of life as displeasing to God. Stop judging me, they will say. Is that not the mantra of our culture today? even if you never once said a condemning word to them. D.A. Carson points out, genuine righteousness condemns people by implication. Small wonder that people often lash out in retaliation. Listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And students, I I encourage you, man, I, I challenge you to listen up here. Because this hits home so much where you're living at. And I know you're out of school for the summer, but get ready. You, you will get along great. The rest of us, we will get along great in this world if nobody ever finds out we're believers in Jesus Christ. But as soon as we begin to live like Jesus and manifest his righteousness as outlined in these Beatitudes, get ready to be persecuted. Just live a righteous life and watch what happens. Just shine the light of God's truth and see the reaction it brings. As John Stott puts it, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. We have the values of the world that are clashing against the values of God's kingdom. Sinclair Ferguson is right when he says, real loyalty to Jesus Christ creates friction in the hearts of those who pay him only lip service. Loyalty arouses their consciousness and leaves them with only two alternatives. You either follow Christ or you silence him. And what we are experiencing is we are trying to be silenced by our culture. And the question is, will we let them muzzle our mouths? So here's the other question. The question that this beatitude confronts us with. It's a question that is staring us in the face, and you cannot run from this question here in this final beatitude. Are you willing to suffer persecution for Jesus Christ. Students, I ask you that question. I ask you to look deep within your own heart and answer that question. Are you willing to stand up for Jesus no matter what at your school? Are you willing to stand up for him no matter what in your workplace and with your neighbors? Because here's the deal. Notice this in your notes. Persecution is the believer's birthmark. And the kingdom of heaven is their promised blessing. 
Jesus declares, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, persecution is blessed because it marks you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It reveals your citizenship is with God and you belong to his eternal family. This means we should not be surprised when persecution comes, but rather surprised when it does not come. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.4, I mean 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. But note the contrast when Jesus says in Luke 6.26, woe to you when all people speak well of you. You see, if we never face persecution of any kind, then we should ask, why is this? Perhaps the reason is we've gone along and we've gotten along all too well in this world in which we live. Maybe the reason is your light is hidden under a basket instead of shining for all to see. Because just isn't it ironic? Just two verses later here in Matthew 5, two verses right after this beatitude on persecution, listen to what Jesus says. He challenges us with these words. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, sometimes the response to righteousness is not persecution, but it is conversion to Jesus Christ. That is what we pray for. That is what we live for. That is why we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that men will glorify God. And will come to know Jesus Christ in saving faith. And so sometimes there is not persecution, but there is conversion by people that we live with, we go to school with, and we work with. But other times, as you know, most of the time, there's persecution. One pastor and author gives this reason for perhaps why we do not face persecution as we should. By far the greatest reason there is so little persecution is that the church has become like the world. If you want to get along, the formula is simple. Approve of the world's morals and ethics, at least outwardly. Live like the world lives. Laugh at its humor. Immerse yourself in its entertainment. Smile benignly when God is mocked. Act as if all religions, religions converge on the same road. Don't mention hell. Draw no moral judgments. Take no stand on the moral political issues. And above all, do not share your faith. Follow this formula and it will be smooth sailing for you. So we should all examine ourselves here this morning to see if we are incognito Christians who are hiding the light of Jesus Christ or if we are true believers who are shining the light of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle, another Puritan writer, commented, persecution is like the goldsmith hallmark on real silver and gold. It is one of the marks of a converted man. So when persecution comes, how then should we respond to it? Well, 
We don't react, and we definitely don't retaliate. And so Jesus is a very specific thing, how we then should respond. Notice this, point number three. The response to persecution is none other than rejoice. Rejoice! Now what's interesting here is that this is the first time, it's finally the first time where Jesus gives a command in the Beatitudes. Up until this point, there have been no imperative verbs. No imperative. In other words, no commands. Jesus not told us to do anything. All these Beatitudes are describing simply who we are as Christ followers in the kingdom of God. But now, now in response to these eight Beatitudes, Jesus finally tells us, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to respond when this happens, when persecution comes your way. I want you to notice it in verse 12. He says, rejoice. And we say, what? Jesus, you want me to rejoice when I'm being persecuted? And if, as if that's not enough, Jesus adds, and be exceedingly glad which means to jump and shout with joy. It's what we all did when we found out the Royals won yesterday. Coming back from six runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. We were watching a movie. Our family went and saw a movie, and we would go into the movie, and they're losing six to one. And we're all like, oh, gosh. We come out of the movie, and Tyler's checking his phone. He's like, Dad, they came back. They won. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Tyler. No way. And then he tells, and it all happened in the last inning, the bottom of the ninth, and we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the idea here in response to persecution. And again, we say, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. I'm being persecuted, and you want me to rejoice and be glad? I mean, let's be honest here. This is a shocking command, to say the least, from Jesus. I mean, what, what in the world can possibly justify the command to rejoice and be glad when you are hated and mocked and even tortured and killed? And make no mistake, Jesus does have in view death here. This is what they did to the prophets this is what they did to the apostles. And so Jesus tells his disciples in preparation for this, in Matthew 24, verse 9, he says, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But that still leaves us with the question, how, how in the world can Jesus say this? How can Jesus be so bold and so audacious to, to tell us to rejoice and be glad in the face of persecution? Well, Jesus explains that here in the rest of verse 12. Look at it. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And here's the reason why. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is why the early Christians in the book of Acts counted themselves worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Specifically here, Jesus gives us two reasons we can rejoice and be glad. Notice that the first reason is we are promised a great reward in heaven. 
the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we endure on earth. Listen, true, we may lose everything on earth, but we will inherit everything in heaven. God will not permit what has been done for His glory to go unrewarded. God promises to give the persecuted a great reward for their suffering. And folks, make no mistake, that reward will be way out of proportion to what they suffered here on earth. Apostle Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. How do you think the afflictions of this life, how do you think what we endure here, how do you think that will look to us once we get to heaven? What, what you endure at school with your friends, how do you think that will look once you get to heaven? What you, what you endure at work, how do you think that will compare once we get to heaven? Martin Luther offers this answer. When, shall, when, when we shall live in that day, we shall look with wonder on one another and say, shame that we were not a better cheer, braver, stronger, and more joyful to trust Christ and to endure all tribulations and crosses and persecutions since this glory is so great. Folks, here's the deal. When we finally get to heaven, no one, no one will ever regret having lived for Jesus while we were here on earth. We'll only regret we didn't live for Him more. The second reason to rejoice is we are identified with the prophets before us. Jesus ends this final beatitude with these words at the end of verse 12. Look at it. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what does this mean? What's Jesus speaking of here? Well, he's speaking of a line of godly believers that stretches back through history. And Jesus says, those who suffer for their faith join their company and stand in their circle of honor. Think of their names. Abel. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Elijah, Peter, Paul, and the rest of the apostles. It's the idea, if you've ever been to Arrowhead Stadium, what, is, what goes around the stadium on the inside? The ring of honor. You know who's on the ring of honor at Arrowhead Stadium? The Chiefs Hall of Fame greats, such as Lynn Dawson, Bobby Bell, Otis Taylor, Dron Cherry, Derek Thomas, Priest Holmes, Will Shields. And you're like, man, wouldn't it be so cool to have played in the NFL, played for the Chiefs, and have my name on the ring of honor at Arrowhead Stadium for all the world to see through broadcast television? Whoa! In the same way, what Jesus is saying here, listen to me, when you suffer at school, when you suffer at work, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus says, you stand in a greater ring of honor than what's at Arrowhead Stadium. You stand in the ring of honor with all the prophets before you. You want to read about it? Go to Hebrews chapter 11. 
and we get a glimpse of who that is. Writing to the persecuted Christians of his day, James encouraged them to look to the prophets as an example in the face of suffering. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, let me encourage you. Remember those who have died protecting our freedom. Yes, by all means do that. But also remember the prophets and other believers who have died serving our Lord. And let their deaths motivate you to live boldly for Jesus and to persevere in your faith in the face of persecution. Remember the prophets who, pers who were persecuted and killed for the cause of Christ in Hebrews 11. Remember what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11.26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Read the testimonies. Read the testimonies of those who have given their all for Jesus. Consider the children of John Rogers. He was burned alive in 1555 because of his faith in Christ. His children accompanied him to the palace, the place of execution, and called out encouragement to their dad through their tears that he might be strong and not turn back and dishonor Christ. Consider the testimony of John Bradford when he was being burned at the stake in London on July 1st, 1555, he turned to another Christian being executed with him and said, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Consider the last letter of Vanya Moisev. He was a 20-year-old Baptist soldier in the Soviet Red Army who had been tortured for some time. On July 16, 1972, they went too far and he died. The day before, one day before, on July 15th, he wrote to his brother Vladimir, don't tell our parents everything. Just tell them, Vanya wrote a letter to me and writes that Jesus Christ is going into battle. This is a Christian battle, and he doesn't know whether he will be back. I desire that all of you, dear friends, young and old, remember this one verse, Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Consider the words of Jim Elliott, who most of you are familiar with his name who in 1956, along with four other missionaries, were killed in Ecuador. And a few years before that, before his death, Jim wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So look to the prophets. Look to the martyrs before us and rejoice and be glad in persecution for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And let us never forget Oh, let us never forget that persecution opens doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance. And so I encourage you this morning to pray, Oh Lord, grant me the grace to live the Beatitudes for the sake of the gospel. From a prison cell in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 12-13, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's imprisonment opened the door for sharing the gospel with people who had, would have otherwise remained unreached. Listen, time and time again throughout church history, God has used the persecution of Christ followers to open doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance. Do you realize we are living in the greatest age of the church in all of history? The gospel is exploding around the world at an unprecedented pace and in some of the most difficult places in all the world. Why? Persecution. The question for us this morning is simple. Will you follow Jesus no matter what the cost? Daniel, will you follow Jesus no matter what the cost? Will you give your life in complete surrender to the Lord? As we come to the end of these Beatitudes, it's time to ask ourselves where we stand in relation to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to give yourself to Jesus and are you willing to follow Him regardless of the cost? Perhaps this morning, some of you, you need to make that decision. You need to go before the Lord in prayer and you need to offer Him your life and you just need to surrender everything there is about you and say, Lord, I am yours. Everything about me, my plans, my career, my dreams, my life, it is yours. I give it to you. And I will follow you knowing, not knowing what the future may hold in this world. I am willing to suffer the cost, whatever that cost may be, for your sake and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, will you make that commitment? Some of you, you need to pray and make that kind of commitment for the first time and surrender your life to Him. And to do that in prayer. You can do that where you're seated. During our time of invitation, you come to this altar and make the same commitment as well. There is something about making that kind of commitment to follow Jesus that you cannot run from. And if you will, you will hear Jesus say, Blessed are you, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, oh, how we thank you for those before us who have suffered and died for your sake. And Father, we ask that you would make us strong, to live for you. That you would give us the grace to stand strong in our faith no matter what the cost. And Father, may we be a church where the light of Jesus Christ never goes out. May we be a church where it shines brightly and boldly for the sake of advancing the gospel. But Lord, we need your help.
We need your grace as we submit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Zach's going to sing, and as he does, let me challenge you. Go to the Lord in prayer. Give your life over to him.